Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Black Wall Street USA on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. This show airs every Thursday evening from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, is your host for this segment with Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com, joining him as co-host. This show is a part of the CBBN on Blog Talk Radio series. Listen here for exciting additions to our lineup. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. Join us at www.chicagosblackbusinessnetwork.com today and touch the world. Hundreds of members are waiting.
You're listening to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, September 2nd, 2010, with your host, Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com. Thank you for joining us this evening. Tonight's show is certainly news that we could use. If you're an ex-offender, then you should stay tuned to this show. If you're an employer, you should stay tuned to this program. As an employer, you not only need to know the tax benefits of hiring an ex-offender, and there are more benefits than just the tax benefits, and we're going to go into detail about that, but you must know, you have to realize that the community benefits for each and every ex-offender that you give a job to. Joining us this evening will be Mr. Ron Khan from the North Lawndale Employment Network and Mr. Algie Grivens from the Illinois Department of Employment Security. Now, Mr. Todd will give us an overview of the Project Safe Neighborhoods Program, and Mr. Grivens will talk about the tax incentives available to employers for each ex-offender that they hire. Now, one of the most impressive quotes from the Project Safe Neighborhood brochure is as follows. Employing ex-offenders leads to safer, more stable communities by reducing the likelihood that the ex-offender will return to the crime, and we hope that they can give us some statistics on that and uh, show us even more benefits of incorporating employed ex-offenders into our community. We're also expecting a call from one of our sponsors from the first Black Wall Street Convention, Mr. Greg Mathis of Tribe, Tribe Nation. Mr. Mathis does work with youth in his capacity as the CFO of Tribe, and he has also expressed an interest in moving forward and working with the Black Wall Street Youth Agenda, and uh, he did speak and uh, have a workshop at the summit uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we hope that uh, towards the end of the show that he can take some time out of his busy schedule to call in and tell us about Tribe. I know that they uh, do mentor coaching, some event planning, some multimedia production, and some social enterprise projects. So we look forward to talking to Mr. Mathis in that capacity. We do want to take some time this evening before our guests come on to thank our sponsors from the first Black Wall Street National Convention because once we get into the subject, there will probably be no stopping because this is really some great information and we want to get it out to you. And not only this information, when we give this information to you, it's not a keeper. It's something that you pass forward and that you share. But before we go to our guests or to our phone lines, let's do this. Let's bring the host of the show, Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, on the air. Good evening, Ron. Hi, Sonia. How are you this evening? I'm doing great, Ron. I'm doing great. Uh, before before I go into what's going on at Black Wall Street and before we start with our guests, let's uh, let's talk about our sponsors. We don't want to forget to thank our sponsors for all that they did for us a couple of weeks ago at the National Convention. So we want to be sure that we get that in. And I also want to let our sponsors know, which I will let them know, each of them by email, that I will be posting uh, their logos and links on uh, Chicago's Black Business Network for uh, all of our members. We have over 600 members to uh, utilize and hopefully support as well. Uh, Area Investments is one of our largest uh, contributors, Ron, but this is not the first time that they've contributed to a summit now, is it? 
Uh, no, they contribute to it maybe about uh, maybe earlier this year they took part, and we're very grateful uh, mainly because of the close relationship of the um, CEO and president, uh, Mr. Rogers, who is a uh, offspring of descendants of uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, in which Black Wall Street uh, uh, live within the spirit of uh, Tulsa. So based on uh, aerial investments being a part of our summit, being a sponsor, uh, it holds a, a deeper meaning based on the family relationship. And also, again, keep in mind that um, Black Wall Street is about sustaining and increasing black businesses, and we definitely want to uh, help to sustain area investments to the point that when you are looking at doing some investments and you want to do some extra investments or change your investments around, that you should look at area investments, not only because it's close relationship and meaning to Black Wall Street, but the uh, the quality of services that they provide to their clients in meeting their financial uh, investments and security uh, needs. So, yes, we're very grateful for area investments. That's great. And uh, we also want to remind the community who um – who are the part of the community who are not investors, that you may want to contact them to learn about investing. Uh, if you haven't been involved in savings and investment programs and your 401K programs, you really want to get some uh, great qualified advice, and they've been in the business for years. Also, uh, one of our sponsors, Chicago South Loop Hotel, Restaurant L26 is where we had the National Prayer Breakfast, and uh, we want to thank them for the great service and the great meal and the gorgeous environment. You should really stop by there over there on 26th and State. If you haven't been uh, through the Chicago South Loop Hotel, you should certainly take some time to stop by there. Everyone who walks through is just very impressed. Of course, Tribe uh, Nation, Mr. Greg Mathis, we mentioned him and hope that he will be with us this evening, was a sponsor the Chicago Defender, Ryan, was a uh, media partner for Black Wall Street during this convention. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, someone where they, who they may not more, know is more unique is one of the uh, cleansing products that we had in the goodie bag. Now, more unique has products in Walgreens, but I got a call one day out of Texas, and they said that they heard about the the summit, and they wanted to contribute, and they sent up they sent up products uh, to go on the uh, goodie bags. Tom during the morning show uh, was definitely a supporter. Uh, Ron Carter, oh yeah, Ron did an interview, and uh, you can see that you can listen to that interview played back on Chicago's blackbusinessnetwork.com. We know Tatum, who is a board member, uh, I don't know if you saw that, Ron, made a little YouTube video of it. Have you seen that, Ron? I haven't caught it yet, but I heard that it was good. And I'm definitely going to have to put my nose to the Internet and check that that whole uh, segment that he put together. I did. I posted it today on Chicago's Black Business Network. It's right there on the main page. So, Ron, you stop by sometime, okay? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, okay. Football Classics. Now, you tell us about Football Classics. They're one of our sponsors also, Ron. 
You're right. Football Classics, um, a group of uh, black businessmen has, I think this is their, um, I think it's about their uh, 11th or 10th year they've been doing Football Classics every year where they uh, put together the uh, uh, dynamic teams that uh, go right at it. And this here is a, uh, a sponsorship uh, of the um, Midway Wholesalers, uh, uh, Rightway Huggins uh, Construction, Chicago Defender, and Selected Domino, Dominic's uh, location that put together the uh, football classics. This coming up of the uh, football classics is going to be happening on September the 18th will be the uh, uh, Archon State University Braves, uh, versus the uh, Delta Devils of Mississippi, Mississippi Valley State University. So that's going to be uh, one heck of a game. I plan to be there. There, I was there last year, and they put on. Uh, you go to a football game, they definitely put on this show. Uh, I mean, the last game, I think they went overtime. So yes, that's going to be happening. So we do appreciate. Uh, Midway uh, Wholesale Liquors and Right Way, the Chicago Defender, and the Dominics for helping to put together the football classics and being a part of the South Street Journal special edition of Black Wall Street Economic Summit. Great. Dan Products uh, out in Elk Grove, Illinois, supplies shampoo and conditioner for uh, packages, sample packages for our goodie bags. So we want to thank them for their participation. The Diva Catering Service, who is a Chicago's Black Business Network member, uh, assisted us with the catering for that day. And we want to thank Hussein Hill and Rochelle uh, for coming out and giving their support. Juno Medical Supplies, uh, that's the owner, is a board member of Chicago's Black Business Network. That's Mr. O.B. Wordlaw. And we certainly want to thank Mr. Wordlaw for his continued support of Black Wall Street over the years. Now, um, South Beach Chamber of Commerce, Ms. Angela Wins is the executive director over there, and Angela uh, always gives her all uh, with everything that she does. I'm a great supporter of Angela Wins, and we do appreciate her. Talking Success, Channel 21, Raynaud Tatum is a board member of Chicago's Black Business Network. Uh, I get them all mixed up, darling, of Black Wall right. Street Chicago. <laughs> I'm just merging them together, Ron. Oh, Black Wall Street. Well, we all are to a great extent. <laughs> yes, we are. And uh, he did an interview uh, with uh, Mark S. Ellen, who is also a board member, and Ron Carter, doing the uh, uh, ongoing promotion for the convention. Also, What's On Your Mind, Channel 21, is Wanda Muhammad. We want to thank her for her support. She came over and did an interview with Ron and I. Uh, Ms. Arnita speaks on WBGX. Now, she permitted Mark Allen to go on and on every week, morning and night. I think she had him on the show uh, as part of PR for the convention this summer. We want to thank Ms. Arnita for her support. And, of course, the Southeast Journal. For all of those that don't know about the Southeast Journal or our new listeners, Ron, tell them about the South Street Journal. South Street Journal, 16-year-old publication, is not only reporting the news but then making the news, and so much that we are proud to say that even Black Wall Street organization was birthed from South Street Journal. So we're a Southside paper 
that the city reads. And in doing so, uh, we engage ourselves not just the reporting the news and providing information, but sometimes we have to step up to the plate and we have to become the news. Uh, in as much as uh, myself being the publisher and editor of South Street Journal and the chairman of Black Wall Street, it gives a great honor to be able to uh, have the newspaper as a tool to work with Black Wall Street and to build that collaboration, build that network, and build the uh, the focus in print where we are in addressing the uh, political and economic issues that address our readership. So the South Street Journal, again, is proud to be a part of uh, our total uh, sponsors with all of the uh, sponsors. matter of fact, most of those sponsors definitely had advertisements in the newspaper. So, uh, and that's including the Chicago's Black Business Network that have its advertisement in the paper as well, promoting its services. So, yes, we're, we're good. We, we feel uh, honored to be a part of this whole movement of Black Wall Street, and um, the newspaper itself is going to continue to uh, put out the news as a tool for the community opposed to just writing and reporting the news. Absolutely. And if you'd like to place an ad in the South Street Journal, who should they call, Ron? Well, they can call right here at the office. I'll be glad to talk to them. Uh, you can call the area code is 312-624-8351. Just ask for me, and I'll be glad to assist you in your marketing services, not just placing your ad, but how we can also contribute to uh, editorial type of support of your business as well. So we just don't drop your ad in and go off. We want to see what we can do to help nurture our readership to be familiar with you as someone they know, not just someone they heard of being in the paper. Great. We want to thank the, the Regal Theater and Mr. Rick McCoy for stopping by the summit and showing his support and introducing us to one of his new uh, incentive programs for black businesses. Ms. Armin Hartman did come by the summit, uh, publisher, editor of Indigo Magazine, and we certainly appreciate her taking the time. Scott Cohen is also one of the sponsors. Uh, tell us a little bit about Scott Cohen, Ron. Well, Scott Cohen is, he ran for lieutenant governor in the uh, primary here this uh, year, and because of some, and he won that primary, and as he won that primary, some domestic issues that he was alleged of doing came to the service, and that he, uh, some kind of way, pulled off or dropped his nomination as lieutenant governor for the state of Illinois. Uh, supplementally to that, uh, there was that political jiving around with the Democratic Party here and where he, after he left his uh, nomination position of being the lieutenant governor of the Democratic Party, he turned around and now become an independent for the uh, 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 for the uh, governor of the state of Illinois. 
And so running as the independent, he did come by to our kickoff reception where we had uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. and also Cheryl Jackson and a host of others, including Reverend L. Sampson and uh, just the uh, uh, some of the founding members of uh, Black Wall Street. Uh, so he came to be a part of that kickoff. He also placed an advertisement regarding his job program. So we're looking real serious about uh, Scott Cohen being the next governor as we are joining partnership with him because we had a, uh, I guess, a policy here at Black Wall Street where upon us inviting the incumbent, and if the incumbent uh, does not uh, acknowledge to be present at our summits, then his opponent can speak on behalf of the particular office. So we're going to be moving along with uh, Mr. Cohen as they're going to be a community meeting in the 17th Ward on September the 13th, where Scott Cohen is a special guest as well. So we are looking at a good governor's race in November, and we're going to see how Scott Cohen is going to give the other candidates a, a chance to prove themselves just as Scott Cohen is going to do the same. Great. We want to thank uh, Tori Muhammad of being Sue Times for his support as always. Uh, he is a CBBN member as well, has, as well as having his own name network and show. Uh, but when, every time I call up on Tori, Tori is right there. We do appreciate him coming out and uh, helping us with our public relations. The Citizen newspaper stepped up and did a fantastic article uh, on Black Wall Street a couple of weeks prior to the uh, summit, and we certainly appreciate their assistance over there. The South Suburban newspaper, the Chicago Crusader, Miss Tasha Stubbs came out uh, Saturday evening to the screening uh, before they die. And uh, I have to look at her article. I understand Mark Allen says that she wrote a great article, a great review uh, on her experience that evening, and I have got to get a copy of that and post it on my website, CBBN, and we want to thank Ms. Stubbs for coming out, and I'm going to be sure to give her a call. Uh, we want to thank the CBBN members who stepped up and gave me their support when I was uh, doing my best at marketing <laughs> this summer, my, my first convention that I've done. And uh, I, I kind of went into rest mode, and I, I sent out an email and asked, would you please help me? Would you send some email blasts out for me? And they certainly did, and I want to thank uh, uh, Sherelle Burrell Consulting for – Sherry Burrell Consulting for sending out a blast for me. Uh, Ms. Armita of Moody Visions Movies, who is the producer of the film The Nubian Princess, she stepped out, sent a blast out for us. What you need also – Send a blast out for us. Thank you so much, Cynthia. And Lars and Associates, Howard, I appreciate you doing that. And uh, I did want to, another week to pass by. I know we're still kind of in rest mode over here, Ron, but it's kind of difficult. But I did want another week to pass by unless I thank each and every uh, sponsor and also thank each and every attendant, everyone who attended. Uh, the summit for coming out. And I want to also thank those who took the time to come this morning to the committee meeting. For all of those who don't know, uh, Black Wall Street Chicago has a committee meeting every Thursday morning at the offices of South Street Journal at 449 East 35th Street. 
Uh, we had some people from the convention show up this morning, step up to the uh, plate and take on some new responsibilities. Before we go to our break, just briefly, Ron, just tell us what's going on at Black Wall Street Chicago, then we'll take a break and come back to our guests who are on the line. Well, we're very much in a high-pitched um, mood to the point that when we have our summits, uh, it's not a break time, it's a, a, a move forward time. And I think that one concern is when we look at planning and we look at how we're going to bring our agenda up front as far as sustaining and increasing black businesses, one concern that we had was the Chicago Metropolitan uh, Agency's planning. And what these agencies do is plan for the year for 2040. And as they have done so, they have basically have secured their recommendations uh, based on how Chicago is going to look in the year 2040. Our agenda, our uh, major focus is our Black Wall Street districts. We have had... Uh, from the time that we started starting our Black Wall Street districts, we have approximately about seven uh, uh, proposed districts. Along within that is two that are, have been confirmed. So as we move to secure the visualization of Black Wall Street districts, where people can shop and support Black businesses, we're also looking at the planning of how to make that happen because there are many different business organizations that represent the districts that we're part of, such as 75th Street, 79th Street, Stony Island, Madison Street. Uh, now we're looking again at Gary, Indiana, and parts of the Bronzeville community. So in a very short period of time, we have moved to have that agenda to sustain and increase black businesses by taking advantage of what we do have, not so much of what we don't. And we want to center the parameters uh, to provide as much resources uh, to those particular districts, whether it is uh, uh, buy and shop on these those particular districts or providing that technical assistance or lending a, a hand in the marketing and sometimes coming in as negotiators on behalf of, a, of issues that are not so uh, defined, whether it is money or customers, sometimes it's uh, business relationships that Black Wall Street have itself involved in. So with that, we have approximately about 17 different components, uh, from black contractors in the neighborhood uh, to a youth component that has been long uh, waited for. And at this last summit, it seems as though we are kicked off with that. Uh, we're looking at legislation raising the issue black versus minority, raising the issue of uh, parity when it comes to work being done in our selected communities meaning that when you have a complaint about city services and when you complain about it and you want to get it done and then you come around and home and you see other people reaping the benefits 
of the work that you stated that you want it done. So you want things done, but you want your community to reap the benefits of the work being done. And that's why we're calling the question of parity, where we have talked to aldermen regarding this. We have had aldermen to stand uh, on a position of parity of the contracts and the work in their community. And that's not just as far as uh, government contracts and vendorship. That has something to do with private as well. Uh, we're taking the attitude the same way McDonald's take that attitude. When you're going to open up a store in a particular area, you want the customer relations to be a reflection of that community. So that raises the question with so many different uh, stores that's opened up in our prospective community, and they don't have the decency to at least have parity of its employment. Yes, every business must hire who they can trust, who they can depend on, but I'm going to use that model of McDonald's. You're going to represent in parity to the community of that store, and you're going to work and train to make sure your relationship with that community stay intact by hiring from within that community, at least in parity of the racial population. So those are some of the issues that Black Wall Street uh, Chicago is, is doing. Even when we're looking at a concept for a Black Better Business Bureau uh, to the concept of having contractors to be more responsible with the, the cloud that sometimes that we have over black businesses that we must uh, dis diffuse. And we diffuse that by having some principles of customers' relationship and we have some principles of businesses being sensitive to the economic stability of that community as well. So we got a massive of uh, agenda items with Black Wall Street uh, Chicago, how we move forward on them, and we're looking forward to reporting our progress every three months as we're going to do on November the 20th, reporting exactly what we have done, what we have not done, and what we need to do. So, yes, we're, we're moving. Great, Ron. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com. You may listen to all our shows in archive here at www.blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. Our call-in number is 347 Three four seven three two six nine four seven seven. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. You will need to press the one if you would like to speak to one of our guests or if you have a question or comment. You can listen to us right here on Blog Talk Radio every Thursday evening from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. We'll be right back with our guests who will share incentives available to your business when you hire the ex-offender. We want to thank you, being, thank you for being a part of all that we do this evening. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with host Sister Ron Carter. I'm Sonia Purdue. You may listen to all of our shows on www.blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN. That was the sex preacher, and we do love that song. That's hello. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. Press the number 1 if you would like us to bring you on the air. If you have a question or comment, the chat room is open. Ron, let's go to the phone lines and welcome our first guest, Mr. Ron Tun from the North Lawndale Employment Network. And they're going to share some information. We're going to talk to uh, Ron a little bit, and then um, he's going to set up, share some information with us on how we can encourage employees to hire qualified qualified ex offenders and much more. And then after that, uh, after that brief introduction, we're going to bring in Mr. Alger Grivens, and I'm hoping I'm saying his name correctly. But let's go to Mr. Tan first. Welcome to the show, sir. Yeah, hi, Sonia. Thanks for the invitation. All right, Mr. Well, yeah, thank you for being on Chicago's Black Business Network, uh, along with Black Wall Street uh, Chicago uh, Blog Radio. Oh, and you are doing fine this evening? I'm doing very well, thank you. Okay. Well, before we get into the, the I guess, the, the services that you provide to ex-offenders, can you give us the, the, the picture of what is what we're dealing with and why the focus on ex-offenders, given the services that you provide that, that exist 10, 20 years ago, or is this something new that we have to give so much attention uh, to ex-offenders? I mean, what's the logic of all of this here? Well, you're asking exactly the right question because things have changed dramatically in the last 20 or 25 years. As we as we look at things today in uh, United States of America, about we have about 5% of the world population, but we have 25% of the world's prison inmates. At, uh, at 756 per 100,000 residents, we have the highest incarceration rate by far of any country in the world and five times the average incarceration rate for, uh, for anywhere in the world. And what has also changed in the last 25 years is that uh, we've had a technological revolution that has made access to background checks and information about people, whether it's credit reports, whether it's criminal uh, conviction information or arrest information, more readily available than it has ever been. We have uh, seen a situation where 20 years ago someone who'd, who'd made a mistake, gotten involved in criminal activity, served his time, came back to the community, could more or less slide back into the workforce at an entry-level job and rebuild his life, rebuild his career, and uh, and re-enter the mainstream. With all the tools that are out there now, it's virtually impossible for someone to do that. And because we're in a much more litigious kind of society, people are more concerned about lawsuits and concerned about liability. There's much, much greater reluctance on the part of businesses, both large and small, to offer uh, job opportunities people with criminal records simply because they perceive that that increases their uh, their exposure to liability and, and, and uh, potential losses. But uh, what we're trying to do with uh, the collaboration on reentry and with the support of uh, Project Safe Neighborhoods is try to find a different point of entry to tell businesses about the facts of the situations and, and help 
try to give them some information that's useful to them to help them build their workforce, take advantage of the qualified people and the, the skilled and, and dedicated people that are out there that have got some criminal histories in their past but uh, ready to make a change and, and make a contribution. Is that really, um, if I can take the position of the question of why would um, funds be directed to people that have um, made some errors to society, uh, why should we work toward um, uh, saving them and, and helping them get employment? I don't think you want to put it in a situation where it's, it's us or them. It's a situation, they're, they're with us anyway. They're members of our community. They can either have an opportunity to contribute and participate in a lawful way, or they can be denied that opportunity. But either way, they're going to be among us. And I think it just makes sense from a logical point of view, from a, from a business perspective, to make sure that people in our community, if they desire to work, if they desire to be self-sufficient, if they, they desire to be uh, contributing members of the community, that they have the opportunity to do so. And that's really all we're, uh, we're interested in, in seeing. Well, out. speaking of business, and I do want to get directly into the, the, the benefits of uh, businesses, that will hire um, ex-offenders, uh, but the business of offenders, if I can, I don't know if this is proper for you to address, uh, but prisons, my understanding, are being, becoming private where they are, um, you know, the people are investing in prisons. So is it a, in the, in the name of capitalism, and based on prisons are being um, uh, on the stock market and people investing in prisons, uh, is there some type of contradiction that um, is good business to have prisoners and then when they get out, maybe if they return, that will increase the, uh, uh, the stocks of those particular prisons and they keep the market or they keep their product uh, uh, turning over and over, uh, so that they can again increase their profits. Does that, is that the scenario of I'm kind of off base by, uh, going there? Well, I don't know, that's not really my area of expertise, but it does sound as you described it like kind of a, a parasitic business model. I think everybody benefits more when people are, are safe and secure and prosperous because they, uh, they have an opportunity to, to join the mainstream. While there's, there's certainly a tendency toward privatization in a uh, in a number of government services, it's uh, I mean that's a question for uh, for state government to determine how best to exercise their responsibility in terms of public safety. But I think our argument would be that public safety is best served by giving former offenders an opportunity to reintegrate and join the community in a safe and productive way. So how did the, the program actually come about? How did you actually identify this here is how we're going to put the mechanics together uh, to serve this, uh, uh, this group of uh, citizens? I want to go back what, a couple of years to, uh, to something that happened in, uh, in 2003. There's a, uh, a research group in uh, Washington, D.C. called the Urban Institute and they have published a series of reports that look 
day that they published their 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 document their, their research on the the uh, portrait of prisoner reentry in Illinois, it uh, made front page news in all the papers and all the all the news broadcasts because it basically reminded people something they should have known anyway, and that's that uh, the vast vast majority of people that go to prison in Illinois eventually come back to their community. And the, the numbers, I think, caught people by surprise. The uh, Illinois Department of Corrections releases between 38,000 39,000 inmates every year. About 60% uh, of those, those folks come back to Cook County, and uh, nearly uh, half of that, uh, that, uh, that number comes to several Chicago neighborhoods, including North Lawndale, where I work, including Inglewood, Boston, and, uh, and several other communities here. And uh, the numbers were so staggering, the idea that upwards of uh, 19 to 20,000 prison releases were returning to Chicago neighborhoods every single year, uh, kind of got the attention of elected officials, and there started to be more of a focus on this question of what are we doing to, uh, to assist this population in reassembling itself back into the community. And okay, so how many employers with the number of ex-offenders uh, returning back to society, how many employers have uh, hired ex-offenders because of uh, your program? But well, there's like far too few. We're, we're one of the, the efforts that we're under un, have underway right now with the support of Project Safe Neighborhoods is to bring information, as I said before, to business owners about ways that they can mitigate what they might perceive as, as their risk or their exposure in terms of uh, their opportunity to hire people with criminal records, and that's what uh, what we've been doing this past year is uh, presenting forums, informational forums that we look at as Of that agency, but in terms of uh, this particular effort, I'm working with 
Metropolis 2020. Our other partners are Chicago Jobs Council and the Shriver Center on Poverty Law, and also the Illinois Department of Employment Security in generating this program to try to do some outreach to, uh, to kind of bring the message to business owners. Now, would you have uh, projections of what you all would need to do uh, to meet that, uh, that gap of ex-offenders being employed? For example, if you know that the, uh, the prison population essentially did indicate will be having so many ex-offenders released in a particular year, are you programming your services to serve a certain percentage of those ex-offenders or all of them and even those that you can't? Uh, can you kind of break down the assessment of maybe what you do and others do and the assessment of what happened to many of those that may need your services and don't get it? Well, North Lawndale Employment Network is one of many workforce development organizations that are community-based as well as uh, more generally focused with, uh, that address the issue of ex-offender employment. And uh, we've been at this for a long time. I've been doing this for 35 years, and I've seen the changes culturally and, and legally and in terms of you know some of those uh, liability and technological issues that, uh, that I mentioned earlier. And I think it's just a, a question of how we bring the to, to bear all the, the forces, all the tools that we have to uh, address this situation. It's, uh, it's no mystery right now that we're in a, in a somewhat depressed economy, that people without criminal records are, are trained to find, uh, find employment, and uh, mm-hmm. it certainly doesn't make it easier for the returning offender who's, who's uh, kind of learned his lesson and is ready to uh, you know, take on his, his citizenship responsibilities. He's just trying to find a way to do that. Uh, we're kind of looking ahead of the curve and saying this, this recession that we're in, this jobless recovery that we're in, is not going to last forever. So we're trying to empower businesses now with the tools they need that when their, their, uh, their business prospects start to turn around and, and start to turn more prosperous, that they're already predisposed to uh, look more objectively and more fairly at uh, their, their employment applicants who happen to have criminal records. And hopefully, as the, the economy improves, we will see not only fewer people going to prison because of the circumstances that uh, result in them going there have changed, but because they've got a better reception when they come out. Okay, well, tell me, what is the Chicago Metropolis 2020? What, what is that all about? Chicago Metropolis 2020 is actually the uh, fiscal agent for the grant that we have through Project Safe Neighborhoods, which is a project of the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office. And I would like to talk about that a little bit. I, I, I don't speak for sure. the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, obviously, but the Project Safe Neighborhood is, is a prosecutorial effort where they're looking at ways to cooperate with local police departments, with, uh, with county prosecutors, and to identify former inmates that have had previous gun or violence charges and to identify them at the point of their rearrest so they can transfer their cases from county courts into federal courts where they have much stronger sentencing tools. 
Now, are you saying this is being done by the uh, state's attorney's office? Uh, isn't it the state's attorney's office's job to prosecute, not to prevent? Or it seems as though this is a preventive measure from the state's attorney's office. Is that the case? Or? Let me clarify that this is the U.S. attorney's office of the federal government, and they cooperate with the county uh, state's attorney's office to transfer these cases so they can prosecute some of these offenders at the, at the federal level and look at those stronger sentencing tools that they have. The object of that is really, I mean, it's twofold. One is to take violent people off the street and make the, make the community safer to do that. But it's also to get the attention of, of former offenders who are back in the community and trying to decide what route they're going to take and, and let them know that the sentences are potentially very severe if they get caught with a gun or if they get caught with a, you know, involved in a violent activity that uh, kind of gets their attention. What, uh, what DSM does is they have forms where they address uh, recently paroled uh, offenders and tell them about this program and let them know what their, their capacity is to really deliver strong sentences to them if, if they make the same mistakes they've made in the past. But the object is really to get their attention so they can then direct those folks to service providers like North Lawndale Employment Network so they can uh, make a positive choice do what, what we call a, a, a U-turn, our, our re-entry program is called U-turn Committed, and really kind of reorient their lives and, and take a different path. Now, how uh, easy is it for an employer to access these uh, benefits, or is it easy? Actually, Algie uh, Privens from the Illinois Department of Employment Security is the expert on that. I think he's, uh, he's going to be joining us in a minute, but he can tell you about uh, various incentives in terms of bonding, in terms of uh, uh, tax opportunities, tax reduction opportunities that are available for those employers that do consider uh, the former offender from employment. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then how can an employer get information? I mean, what, what would they need to do or what would be their first step? The easiest thing to do would be to contact our workforce development organizations such as North Lawndale Employment Network and inquire about these programs, we can put them in touch with the Illinois Department of Employment Security where all the all the, the action really takes place. Are you all looking at the expansion based on the uh, the need or is there a cap on how many that you can serve as far as businesses and uh, uh, ex-offenders? These programs that offer incentives and uh, tax benefits and, uh, and wage rebates are vastly underutilized, and that's also part of our message is to let employers know how much resource is available to, to help them and, and guide them through this process. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous opportunity. I mean, we have an opportunity for free uh, bonding of, uh, of former offenders. We have the work opportunity tax credit and a number of other incentive programs that uh, would make this a very attractive uh, proposition mm -hmm. for the small business in particular. Okay, can you uh, give us a number uh, where they can reach you? And in addition to that, we want to bring on Mr. Uh, L.G. Uh, Clevens from the Illinois Department of Employment Security on the air as well. Uh, so what number that they can reach you at? You can get to me at 773-265. Seven nine four eight. Okay.
Okay. Now, if you can, if you stay on the line for questions, uh, that would be great. And uh, but right now, we'd like to bring on Mr. Uh, Clevens. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, you mentioned Ricardo, but that's okay. It's Algie Kivens. Algie Kivens. Okay, welcome to Chicago's Black Business Network with uh, Black Wall Street Chicago. How are you this evening? I'm doing fine, and you? Okay, very good. Um, as you may know, Black Wall Street uh, is a business organization, um, and with that, we do prime ourselves in sustaining and increasing black businesses. Uh, and with that, the prison population seems as though, uh, if I can use a lack of, of, of wording, uh, seems to like the population of, of blacks in jail or blacks like jail or however it may be, uh, that a lot of them are returning to the inner city, which are some of our Black Wall Street districts? Uh, how do is there an economic type of uh, structure that is in partnership with the uh, the uh, with your department? Is there a uh, a mandate, or is, for example, the uh, Chicago metropolitan area planning is basing its plans for the year 2040? on uh, population, does the prison population or ex-offender contribute to any economic mandate from the government? Well, by it being a federally funded program, funded by the federal government and administered by the state agency, our mandate is to service all individuals, irregardless of when the conviction occurred and what the conviction is, and so we can address the barriers that are in place to prohibit individuals from gaining employment. So the mandate will continue as long as the need exists. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Uh, if you want to hold on, just I think we have a caller on the line with a question. I do want to get right back with you. Um, uh, Sonia? Thank you. You listen to Black Wall Street USA. We're going to go to the phone lines. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. You need to press the number one if you have a question or a comment. We're going to area code 773, last four digits, 2196. You're on the air with Black Wall Street USA. Do you have a question? Please state your name. Hello? Hello, caller? Okay. All right. They're there. They, sound, they sound like they're back there typing. They're going to go back to our guests and see if they're going to wake up in a minute. Okay. So um, where do you uh, foresee the the program have to be more, uh, in, uh, I guess, is it more of an outreach that you would have to do, or is it a more of a thinking of the businesses to take advantage of these services and employing ex-offenders? Well, well, there has to be an outreach, the outreach arm in education and informing the, the community, which is the employers of the community, about the various incentives available to help them increase their bottom line and, 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 and provide a, a valuable workforce uh, who is able, willing, and ready to go to work is, is key, number one. Uh, number two, businesses need to take a more proactive role in searching out and identifying why they're not utilizing these various 
governmentally funded incentives that are available for them in order to increase their bottom line, to add value to their companies, and help their companies grow as well as gain a, a, a quality worker. So it has to always be twofold. We have to do our outreach. We must uh, pound the drums every day, block by block, small business to large business and medium-sized business as well, to make sure every business knows about these incentives and teach them how accessible they are, how how easy the forms are, and, and, and show them that we are their friends in this um, industry of business. Give me an idea of how a, a cost ratio of the tax benefits uh, upon hiring an ex-offender. How much of uh, in dollars amount are you talking about on the average uh, in hiring a uh, ex-offender? Well, it, it can run the gamut. First of all, if, if, if they choose to hire an ex-offender, we can provide fidelity bonding, which provides some type of insurance protection against embezzlement and theft and different things of that nature. And that's $5,000 worth of coverage at no additional cost to the employer. So that's no Would that be just for that particular, is that geared toward that particular uh, employee that's an ex-offender, or would that cover all of the operations of employees for that particular company? No, it's geared toward that one particular individual who has been hired as an ex-offender in okay. a category. And right. then what, what, what it is is that the state also has, through the IRS, the Illinois Revenue Services, they have a $600 tax credit for not first-time nonviolent offenders who the employer choose to hire. So, therefore, it, it walks up in phases, and then you move to what is known as the work opportunity tax, moves to the work opportunity tax credit. And then from the work opportunity tax credit, it provides up to $2,400 in tax credits per employee the employer chooses to hire and retain for a certain amount of hours. So we're talking about a substantial increase to the bottom line, which is not taken away, so it's adding to the bottom line of the employer if they use strategic hiring practices in order to couple these incentives to add to the value to their company and at the same time making sure that the individual that they're hiring is someone who's going to be productive and responsible and also and also be 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 an asset to the company. And we and, and you know, through the various companies that you have involved in this, North Lawndale Employment Network, Safer Foundation, twenty twenty, we make sure we identify uh, uh Chicago's job council, we make sure we identify qualified individuals who match the employer needs and qualifications and skill set, along with these incentives. Have there been a case that you know of where that insurance bond had to be paid up? It's very rare that an insurance bond has to be paid up, and you might run across about one or two a year out of hiring the 10,000 individuals. It's a very small amount. Usually what you find, Ron, in hiring a person who's an ex-offender, that person, once he gets on a job, he wants to prove himself because he knows how hard it is to change his life around and how hard it was for him to get his foot through the door. And usually they don't make mistakes because they know the whole world is watching and they're, and they're trying to make good on the promise they made to themselves to change their lives around. Mm -hmm. So uh, as far as the ex-offender employee, uh, is there some qualifications that they have to uh, meet? 
for the for the for the employee himself, the only thing is that for the tax credit, they have to be within that first year of release, and that's the only thing that the that they have to in order to qualify them under the. So in their first year of release, does that mean upon them being released, are they automatically referred to your services, or is it uh, a letter saying that you need to contact this agency for, or you can contact this agency? Uh, so how does that communications with the ex-offender? Do they get a letter? Do they get a, a, a package? To, to say to call this if you're interested in the program or there's still a an outreach on your own where you got to try to identify them through the mass media. Okay, now you bring up a, a good point. We have great partnerships with the Illinois Department of Corrections. Before their release, the individuals are informed about the various incentives and various programs on how to present these programs to the employers. But that's before release, pre-release. Upon being released, the parole officers through the parole division of the Illinois Department of Corrections also educate and inform them of the benefits and incentives that they need to know about when talking to the employers about gaining employment. And then on our end, we also conduct the outreach. So when they come into our office, we educate them, we inform them, we, we, we provide the soft skills training and the necessary tools and information they need in order to be successful in marketing themselves and marketing the various incentives to the employer as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, upon reaching out to them, do some of them have a, um, a hard time adapting uh, if there's more of an orientation for them to be prepared for employment, or is there um, some type of job readiness for them? Uh, for example, for a uh, ex-offender that had no uh, high school education, opposed to an ex-offender that has a doctorate degree, is there some type of uh, identification with the skills? Not only their, their 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 skills, but where they're at in adapting back into being a citizen. Well, that's a great point. Yes, the Illinois Department of Employment Securities and various other agencies provide soft skills training, interviews training, and identify the the shortcomings of an individual during the assessment process or the enrollment process in in any of the ex offender programs throughout the state. And what happens during that place, they identify the barriers, where a barrier may be that this person needs to get a GED or there's the type of position that he's looking to obtain. He doesn't need to have a GED in order to work in that profession. Those type of things are weighed out to make the best assessment and, and point the person in the right direction to gain the tools they need to be successful. So if, it's, if his success track is that he needs to get a GED, we would steer him toward a GED program and work with him so he can accomplish his GED. And also, if he's uh, more adept, we could work with him as he's working with his GED and working with him also on finding employment and getting him ready to be employed once he gains his GED. So it's sometimes a dual track and sometimes it's a singular track when we're working with the client. But we try to look at each client as an individual and not try to lump them all in because all clients need different things and some just need a little brush up like the one that you said that may come in with the doctor's degree. We must 
talk to him about sometimes looking at what his expectations are and what he will accept and what he will not accept in employment. And sometimes it's kind of difficult when you have a doctorate or a master's degree to say, you know, I don't wash dishes. But if that's the only job available for you to get your foot through the door as an ex-offender, you have to start somewhere and be willing to get through the door and then work your way up the ladder. Mm-hmm. So will some of the um, ex-offenders, as they are adapting back into the uh, citizenship, are there a, uh, I guess, the, the, the counseling that they receive, um, are there some type of evaluation? And then if you indicated that uh, they have to apply for the, the services, within one year of their release and then okay go ahead the 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 one year is not an application process it's just a a conditional certification that the federal government has set in place as far as the employer receiving a tax credit behind them it's no that for the illinois department of employment security there's no uh criteria of you have to be out a year or you or you can't get our services or if you're out more than me, you can't get our services. Our services are available uh, no matter how long they've been out, no matter what the circumstances. Just for that one particular incentive that the employer can reap the benefits of hiring individuals is, is, is tied around that uh, one-year criteria. Okay, let me get this straight. Are you saying that the employer must apply to be a part of the benefits with uh, is that a, a choice of a ex-felon, or I, I guess I'm missing some part when you state that one year, uh, well, one year that the employer must uh, take advantage of it at the time yeah. that it enrolled? The employer, has, you're right, the employer has one year to take advantage of that tax credit under that category of a person being an ex-offender. And that's exactly right. Okay, that's upon the hiring that particular individual. Is that correct? Oh, okay, got it now. But your program is ongoing. So, for example, if an employee uh, do not work out with a particular job for whatever reason, um, are you still, does they still qualify to continue to work uh, toward another employer? Yeah, the employer, the employee, the employer can obtain um, as many employees as they so choose to. to meet okay, well, I'm asking is the employee can oh, they? The employee, how many times can they turn over working with a particular employer? Say, oh. if they work with this one employer for one year, or they work with this one employer for three months, and something happens that they cannot fulfill that. Can they reapply to work with another employer so another employer can uh, maybe reap those benefits? Yes, long as long as they meet the hourly requirement about 400 hours, the employer can reap the benefits of the tax credit. You know, it's it's and you're right, it's a dual process. The the employee must do everything on their part to stay employed in order to be a productive citizen, and the employer. It tries to these incentives are to encourage the employer to keep individuals on for the long term, and that's what all these incentives are geared towards 
we want to take for the employee to have a fresh look at the individuals, and then once they have a look at the individuals, they're able to judge that these individuals are a great fit for their organization and hopefully keep them on for a long, extensive time. Mm-hmm. So the numbers of uh, now, based on the, um, I guess if we can look at the North Lawndale Employment Network and, and the demographics of that particular community, was there a, uh, a, a pre-identified uh, notion to work with the North Lawndale Employment Network based on the demographics uh, opposed to, um, say, a organization in the Beverly area or an organization in Peel Hill on the far south side? Uh, is there some type of demographic considerations in uh, targeting the agencies such as the uh, North Lawndale Employment Network to be a part of the program? Well, North Lawndale Employment Network has been around for a long time, and as you know, North Lawndale neighborhood is one of the areas where we have the highest uh, concentration of ex-offenders returning to uh, a certain area in geographic locations. Do you have any numbers that goes along with that when you say the highest number? They they have one of the highest numbers. I don't have the numbers in front of me, Iran, but it's, it's North Lawndale, you have Inglewood, you have Roseland, and you have about four other uh, neighborhoods throughout the city of Chicago, which makes up about 77 neighborhoods. But you have about 10 neighborhoods throughout the city of Chicago, which are hotbeds or hotspots where individuals are coming back in large growth. And mm-hmm. working with North Lawndale Employment Network and other organizations in that area, is geared to try to stop recidivism, stop individuals from uh, coming home then returning to prison. So in order for that, we must meet their, their basic needs. And some of the basic needs are individuals having to have to provide for themselves. So they need employment. So we, through these various organizations, we try to educate these individuals. We try to arm them with knowledge, skills, and abilities so they can go to work. And on the other side, we try to work with the employer so they can have a place to go to work. So it's a dual focus and a folded process in order to be successful. You have to work with the client, uh, educating them and, and equipping them with the tools that they need to be successful. You have to work with the employer to educate them on the incentives and on how this individual is going to be an outstanding worker. And a lot of organizations put their name and reputation online with the employer saying that, you know, I am vouching for this individual and I am sending them over and, you know, he he to to the best of our ability, he's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, IDOT uh, has created new programs to help uh, divert adults from the uh, state prison system, uh, where they have, um, I believe, they have uh, under uh, one aspect of the reform package, they contribute something like two million dollars designated for the implementation of mandatory uh, uh, supervised electronic detention. Uh, you're, and then approximately, um, I think about a 1,000 low-level nonviolent ex-offenders will be assigned to a parole agent and will require, uh, you know, to adhere to strict guidelines for the remainder of their sentences. Do you work with... Um, 
people that's on parole as well. And other than, are you familiar with this Illinois Crime Reduction Act of 2009 uh, that is supposed to reduce the number of ex-offenders to IDOC? Um, does that have anything to do with your funding? Well, no, our funding is, is, is we're funded through the Wagner Pizer 7B from the federal government through the uh, U.S. Department of DOL through the uh, Employment and Training Administration. That's where the, the funding for the Illinois Department of Employment Security comes from. Eighty-five percent of our funding comes from that way. Now, as far as working with individuals who are on parole, we work with individuals while they're on parole, uh, while they're in work release centers, and uh, irregardless of whatever their offense uh, may be, we work with them in order to try to our best of our abilities to uh, prepare them for job opportunities. Now, if I can go back to the um, scenario of the high school dropout and sometimes the elementary school dropout compared to the whenever there is the case where the doctrine degree uh, ex-felon, is there any type of uh, pattern that you see in servicing ex-offenders? Is there a pattern of uh, history uh, that you see in trying to place people in, or placing people with an employer? What, what is a common thing that you see among them? Is it a common uh, based on the crime, or is there a common based on their background, or does that exist? Well, I, I think the, the pattern lies, and I'm going to give you the negative and the positive, of course, but the negative lies in that the discouragement and that individuals come in there and they're easily discouraged and they want a microwave fix and they want an opportunity as soon as they walk in, regardless of whether or not they're prepared or not, they want an opportunity to leave with something fast, quick, and easy. But the real, reality of it is on that pattern side, most of the pattern seems to be that way. On the other pattern is that staying engaged in a process, teaching individuals that life is a process. So getting engaged with this organization or this agency is a process in order for them to help you, and you have to stay engaged in the process. That's one of the patterns that we notice about individuals not wanting to stay engaged in the process. Now, the positive side is that you run across a lot of them that are so determined that they, 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 they assert themselves, that they're there, you don't have to tell them to do nothing. They make a way out of nothing in order to get what they're trying to get. And you have a lot of them with that type of attitude and mentality. And you can, you know, sometimes the mentalities change, but you have these individuals who have this mentality that they're not going back and they're determined to succeed and they don't care where they work at, they just want to work, and they, they put their egos and their pride in their pocket, and they walk through the door, and they're so humble. And, they're just, and, it, just, and, it, and it thrills you and it pleases you to work with individuals like that because they make you work that much more harder to get them placed because you can see the fire in their belly that this is what they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Do they um, commonly network among themselves and share their experiences, or is there a um, an assessment where they come back themselves and to give their uh, their stories on their successes and their stories of not so much successes? How is that 
done? Is it done on a one-on-one, or is there some type of group sessions that they're involved in? Well, TAB has, like, winning circles throughout the city, and Benny Lee has winning circles, uh, and, and they share those type of success stories, and they show the, and they share the failures as well in order to show people that, you know, life ain't all roses. We're going to have to get some bumps and bruises in order to make it over this over this rough rough spot in our lives. And and they share that, and it's encouraging when they do it because other people see it. And not everyone can benefit from a conversation, but sometimes that individual, one individual in the room gets the picture that, man, somebody else is going through this with me. I'm not out here alone, and I can continue to push forward. And, you know, it's, it's great when they when you can see that when the light bulb just clicks on in someone else's head when, when it was dim at first. And, and, it, and it's a great feeling to see individuals finally get it and understand that they can't keep going back to prison, that they have to find a way to stop doing crime. And I think working with these organizations, staying engaged in the process and being an active part of volunteering in your community and working with these organizations, you can be successful. Right. Now, uh, Mr. Crevens, correct? Crevens, yes. Crevens, I'm sorry. We're going to uh, take a break. I want you to stay on with us, and we're just going to take this uh, short break, and we're going to be right back. Uh, but prior to that, give us the number where people can reach you at as well. Okay, they can call 312-793-1107. Gotcha. Okay, so hold on with us. We're going to take this break and come right on back. Uh, Sonia? I'm here. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with our host, Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Uh, we're on the line with Mr. Tan and Mr. Grivens, and we're talking about uh, advantages of you hiring the ex-offender. We appreciate you being there. We'll be right back after these messages. A successful special event can be very challenging and stressful at times. Our staff of professionals organizes your event down to every last detail, no matter what size your special event may be. Our creativity and attention to detail turns your ordinary party into an extraordinary event. At Andy Clyde's, world-class service for our clients is standard. We can provide travel arrangements, accommodations, event sites, caterers, florists, photographers, transportation, hairstylists, and makeup artists, favors. Daily plans for guests and pre-event information such as detailed maps, save the date cards, and invitations. Being a custom event planner means that we cater to you. We are not locked in by guidelines passed down by corporate. It is our job to find the best possible way to present your event. We have been referred to as dream weavers because we listen to what you want and get it done. Our specialties are the vacation packages. Visit our website at www.ndclides.net to see examples of what sets our services above others. And remember, at Andy Clides, we are your We support organizations like Partners in Community Building, Inc., as they contribute to building up our communities by enriching the lives of others. Partners in Community Building is a nonprofit organization and there is no charge for their services. PICB 
It's a HUD-certified counseling agency, and here are just a few of the services available to you in the Chicagoland area. Foreclosure prevention, there's no charge for this service. Winterization, who doesn't need their home winterized? CETA Energy Assistance and Furnace Programs, even if you are paying your electric and gas bill on time, you may still qualify for assistance from CETA. Home ownership counseling is available as well as rental assistance referrals. Partners in Community Building is located at 3424 South State Street in Chicago. For additional information and to schedule an appointment, contact PICB at 312-328-0873. Call 312-328-0873 for all of your housing needs. Ms. Bobby Ball is the Executive Director of Partners in Community Building, Inc. Tell her you heard about it on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for being with us this evening. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA uh, with our host, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, Ron Carter. I'm Sonia Purdue, Mr. Carter's co-host for this segment, and the founder of Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com. And we invite you to come over and join us and touch the world. And uh, that's our slogan, but we do we do a lot of things at uh, Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com. We just want to tell you about one of the things that we do. Uh, we have over 600-plus members now, and we hope the gentlemen on the line will come over and join us and uh, share that information with our membership base. But um, I go and I look around for different services and niche products, and sort of like we're talking about tonight, and I like to keep our members up to date and informed on what's going on with such programs. This is one program that uh, I ran across last week. I called the organization, which is Rock Chicago, ROC Chicago. And uh, I found this hanging on a, a wild by a bus stop, one of the little bus stop uh, sites. And it says, come take free restaurant industry training classes. And uh, what they're doing over at Rock, which is located at 77 West Washington, Suite 1400, they are offering a class, no experience necessary. It is a free course. This course is held in a restaurant, in restaurants who have agreed to, to uh, let them utilize their area for this training. This is a free eight-week training program, one day a week, 2.5 hours for each class. And the training program includes restaurant terminology, service skills, table site service, Bar basics, greeting, and seating. So for me, I saw this, and it, it looks like it would fit uh, fit a lot of different people. If you're changing jobs, if you wanted to go into another industry, if you just wanted to get another certificate, or if you were uh, older or younger and you needed uh, needed a certain, just did not have a skill that would get you in something that would, um, let me see, that would be quick for you, uh, that would be of no charge to you, that would not take a lot of time for you because they do provide job placement assistance, uh, resume assistance, uh, and that type of thing. So the eight, that's the eight-week course. And then the second course, which also includes uh, Illinois liquor, law, liquor laws, excuse me, basic mixed drink knowledge, food and wine pairing, beer overview, and restaurant terminology. Another class, uh, it can be 
well, of course, if you're going to serve liquor, you have to be over 21. But this course would fit someone, uh, for instance, if you were going to school part-time and you wanted to take this course. I thought that this would be beneficial to someone who needed an entry-level job. And I want to bring it up with the gentlemen that were on the line, that, that are on the line, because it may fit some of the ex-offenders that they're working with. Or you may already be aware of this program and be working with this agency. But they're having an orientation. I set up an orientation for CBBN members for Wednesday, September the 8th, between 10 and 11. But they do ongoing orientation for these two classes. And also on this program, they indicate that they have a special program for single mothers who want to enter, enter the food industry. So it's just one choice uh, out of hundreds of choices. So even the ex-offenders uh, and people who have no records or people who just don't have the, the skill level, they're not requiring a GED here. There are no catches here. This is a non-for-profit organization here that simply assists restaurant workers, okay, and people who own restaurants who need to fill those positions. So you will call 312-629-2892, 312-629-2892, and that's Rock ROC Chicago. The course is, the orientation is Wednesday, September 8th, 10 to 11, and 77 West Washington, Suite 1400, and that's uh, Clark and Washington. Now that's, uh, that space the size is limited to 20 people, but they do ongoing orientation. Once you complete the orientation, they will schedule you for a free class. So if this is not something that you can use, we give this information. We post this in the events section on Chicago's Black Business Network.com, and we post it and we tell you about it, just like we're sharing this information uh, that's available for the ex-offenders this evening and for employers who want and if they don't want, who need to hire qualified ex-offenders for you to pass on. Not for you to keep, not for you to make a secret, not for you to use it just for you, but we share this information, people. We This is how we grow. Let's bring our chairman back on the line. Ron, welcome back to the show. Now, um want to bring on, I guess, Mr. Ron Tun and Mr. Alger Grivens back to the show. And uh, we do have one call on the line. Let's see if they're available, Ron. You back, Ron? Ron? I don't know if I have a problem. Okay, I'm here. Oh, you are Hello. here. You do yes, hear me. I'm Wake here. up, Ron. Come okay. on. Come on. Let's go. Uh, we want to welcome our guests back to the show. And let's see if this call out at 803 area code. Let's see if this call is woke, Ron. Area code 803, what's fine? Do you have a question for our call, for our guests? Yeah, I do. Um, as far as okay, where are you calling call from, sir? Where are you calling from and your name? Oh, this is Thomas. I'm calling from Columbia. Okay. Yeah, I'm calling um, in regards to um, some of these, these programs we're talking about. Um, so for, for people who um, are, are ex-offenders and they're basically um, kind of put into kind of a, a cast system, so to speak, um, there are resources to help them. Uh, integrate and to get jobs in is, I guess there's what you're saying is benefits for the employer. I didn't hear the first part of the show, so um, is there some place like online where um, we can direct them to? Because you know, I know people who get out of prison and, they, like I said, they're pretty much relegated to, to very low pay, you know, low paying jobs for a very long time and right. kind of hard to make their next their next step up. So, we're, we're okay, now what, what state are you calling from again? 
I'm in South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay, um, uh, Mr. Atan or Mr. Grivens, uh, Grivens, uh, how would you uh, address that, even from uh, a different state? Uh, I'm not well acquainted with, with the resources there, but I would certainly encourage the caller to check out the uh, the uh, Workforce Investment Act programs that are available in the community. They're everywhere in the country, uh, typically available through the uh, community college. Uh, board uh, in a particular area, or in Illinois, they're called Illinois Employment and Training Centers. Elsewhere, they're called one-stop uh, career centers, and I'm sure there's one in the, in the college area. That would be a good place to start to find out about resources available locally. Okay, okay. All right. Do you find that that is a desperate need in uh, North Carolina? In South Carolina? I'm sorry, South Carolina? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, because, you know, South Carolina is kind of one of those places where, you know, um, just definitely still there's, there's a, ca a caste system. So, uh, you know, if you go into an uh, institution and you come out, um, like I said, you, you get relegated to working under the table or doing whatever you have to do. So um, a lot of cases of revolving doors, not, there's not as many uh, possibilities for them, especially with their economy. They don't have as diverse economy in certain areas. In Columbia, you, know, you probably have a little bit more opportunity, but throughout the state, it's, it's kind of bleak because, you know, most of the population is centered in, you know, Columbia, Charleston, Greenville, Florence. So, you know. mm -hmm. so when we look at the, uh, the since this here is a uh, federal funded by the federal government, uh, there, was there a bigger picture looked at uh, the the return, the high return of, um, of inmates back into society that the uh, the federal government indicated that it will focus on these type of tax incentives, and in doing so, uh, do the um, government have a cap of such uh, benefits? Uh, to the point that they would um, uh, look at doing some tax cuts and say, well, we can use these uh, uh, this money someplace else. Well, currently, you know, it's, it's funded. Uh, sometimes the money is funded for three years or a year. It's allocated for various uh, a time periods. But the only problem is that we haven't been running out of it. Sometimes it's underutilized by the employers, and that's why we're on the stopping um uh, stomping uh, now trying to make sure employers are informed about it so that they can access it and utilize it. And that's been one of the biggest problems that we've been running across right there. Not that the funding is going anywhere, it's just that we're not utilizing it to, 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 the, to the full potential. Mm -hmm. Could a person move to a, a different city uh, to take advantage of the uh, program? What did you say, Ron? Can a person move to a different city to take advantage of the program? Or well, the programs they are, take are everywhere. And, and the unemployed, what is, is the unpopular word for, for my agency, but I'm going to utilize it because people are familiar with it in that term, but it's the gentleman from South Carolina, Columbia, which is up there by my brother in the Air Force. But if they would utilize it by going to the unemployment office and asking them about we are work, a Workforce Investment Act, and ask them about fidelity bonding and ask them about the tax credit. 
these these programs are universally used throughout the the United States, no matter where they at. They can take advantage of it. The only thing is that you want to go be in an area where you have some employers uh, who are hiring, and that's what it's about. Wherever individuals need to relocate, because sometimes we tell individuals with backgrounds not to return to those same neighborhoods, but think about relocating to another neighborhood, getting away and changing your friends and changing your environment and so you can change your attitude and you can change your behavior so you can begin to move forward in life. So, you know, you, there's a couple of things an individual needs to do in analyzing his situation, looking around in the employment arena, looking around in himself internally, and then make that judgment call on whether or not he needs to relocate to another city um, to, to, to reap some benefits. Now, again, when you say it's under, uh, underutilized, the services are underutilized, again, is that, uh, as you indicate, upon an inmate being released, they are giving the information uh, of the services that you provide, but yet it's still underutilized. Is that a, uh, a, a fault, per se, of the um, ex-offender that do not take advantage of it because they are aware or they have a stigma. So why is it that there is it being so un- underutilized? Well, I think it's underutilized not to any fault of the ex-offender because they're pounding down the doors trying to find ways to get employed. It's underutilized in the sense that we're talking about when it comes to the employer, because without the employer, we can have all the incentives in the world. We can offer all the benefits, but if the employer is not willing to give a person a second chance and willing to hire individuals, that's in the sense that it's underutilized that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So then, again, as um, the the process of doing the um, orientations and doing the workshops and networking with organizations, um the employer, do they have a stigma of their own that they have to be, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know if the right term is programmed uh, or unprogrammed about un- uh, ex-offenders? Ron, you want to answer that? Yeah, I, I will tackle that. I think it's far too prevalent that companies have just a blanket policy. When uh, someone indicates on a job application that they have a felony conviction, that they're automatically excluded from employment. I think our, our message is that businesses that have that policy are really turning their back on a valuable uh, labor resource. That there uh, a number of people in that population that are you know, potentially exemplary employees, and I think what we want to what uh, what businesses know. And that's really our message is everybody should hire the best candidate they can find for any given job opening. I think what we want to tell them is that if that person happens to be a former offender, they shouldn't be afraid to open that door and give them the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this uh, on a sidekick of uh, ex-offenders, uh, ex-offenders, is that do they have the right to vote? They can't be Pardon? That's not true in every state, but in Illinois they do. Uh, uh, I didn't hear you clearly. I'm sorry. They, it's not true in every state, but in Illinois they do. There's no restriction on uh, voting for former offenders. So when an ex-offender is released from prison or being incarcerated, 
Are they then eligible to vote or they're as long as they register to vote, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I was asking that because uh, I was out on the street and there was a ex-offender telling me about his horror stories and um, then they indicated that they're not able to vote. Where does that, is that at one point that they were not able to vote or why does a lot of ex-offenders have the notion that they're not eligible to vote? It varies from state to state, and I think... Well, let's speak about Illinois. You know, right here in Illinois, why do they feel as though they're not eligible to vote? I think it's a matter of uh, information not being available, but immediately upon their release from from custody as parolees, they are eligible to register and vote. Hmm, okay. Uh, So um, it is a process of this partnership that have to be developed from the uh, ex-felon and the employer and you two agencies. Uh, how do you all feel the the impact that you're having? And 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 I understand what you said is the maybe the frustration is getting through to the employers, but there is there any humble type of feelings that you all may have? and work in this here capacity. Well, I would just say that I've seen over the years that I've been doing this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of former offenders who have made the transition, who put their past behind them, and in the same way I don't necessarily identify with everything I did when I was younger. They're in a position now where they don't have to identify with, uh, with being a former offender because they put that much personal history between them and, and that occurrence. And uh, mm-hmm. I think if, if people knew of, of everyone that they they work with, that they, they pass in their neighborhood who had a criminal record, they'd probably be surprised because some of the, you know, leading citizens in their communities may have a, may have a, 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 a conviction in their background. But they've overcome that, and I think a, a, a lot of people who don't overcome that only don't do it because they don't have the opportunity because the right doors aren't open at the right time. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Cribbins, what are your some of your humble uh, thoughts uh, regarding the working in this capacity? And then, if you can, I'd like to ask both of you for your closing remarks before we end the show. Well, you know, Ron, um, to me, you know, it's just an, uh, an awesome feeling to be able to help someone get their life back on track, knowing that they are going to be productive, a tax-paying citizen, knowing that not just that one individual that you helped, but it's the family behind that individual that you helped, the mother, the grandmother, or the child that he may be responsible for taking care of. And that is the overall impact and humbling. And it's just like, you know, you can do the job for nothing if you can help so many people. It wouldn't matter about the amount of money you can receive for yourself. It's about how many people and lives that you are actually touching and changing. Um, that's the uncounted number. And as long as we change one individual's lives per day, we're doing our jobs to get people off the streets, to give them hope, and to get them on the right track. And, you know, that's the, the humbling thing about my job. It's, it's, it's a reward beyond financial compensation. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, Ma, appreciate those thoughts. Mr. Uh, Tan, uh, what were some of your humble uh, feelings regarding uh, uh, being involved? You say 35 years? 35 years, we count it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the is there something that really... Te- oh, go ahead. The thing that impresses me the most is working with, with the people that I see every day and have for, for many years is when you hear about their backgrounds, you hear about their, their early lives and some of the experience they had, to see how much humanity is still there, that, uh, that when you, you scratch the surface, that uh, they have the same capacity for compassion and, and sincerity and uh, ability to commit to goals and, and, and dedicate themselves to purpose as anybody else does. And it kind of gives you a little bit of respect for the human spirit that despite what's happened in the past, that there's a resiliency in all of us that uh, when given the opportunity can really prosper. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to um, say that uh, in closing our show, um, as being a reporter, I was uh, stopped um, and I spent eight days in Cook County Jail. And doing so, I... Um, you know, it's a reporter's dream come true to go behind the bars and write the story and the drama of the story and, and catch this and catch that. And But as I was there, uh, I noticed that, you know, and being a person of the street, so to speak, uh, it seemed to me that half of the people that were there incarcerated did not belong there. Um and upon leaving um, and interviewing guards and interviewing the inmates, uh, they did ask me to make a commitment to uh, being a reporter to tell their story, uh, to make sure that the, the people on the outside uh, know what's the frustrations of those that are innocent as well as those that are not innocent, their stories. And I believe that as their stories are being told in the pages of South Street Journal, uh, I think that what you all are doing are helping to move their stories for their personal benefit. I do want to thank you all for being a part of our program, and naturally we are going to want to partnership with you through Black Wall Street Chicago and working with our business um, uh, associates as well as through the paper of South Street Journal to tell the victory stories as well as to make the connection. So we definitely want to follow up um, with that, um, uh, the activities of a, of, of a partnership on both our ends. Uh, with that, uh, Sonia, what you doing? What's happening? I'm working, Ryan. I'm working. I'm listening. I'm taking notes. I'm trying to see how we can get more employers to uh, listen to uh, these two men and their organizations and what it is that they do. You know all you do is give me an idea and I get to running with it, but I think that we do need uh, to have this information repeated, and we will uh, – uh, I do want to thank uh, Mr. Ryan Tan and Mr. Algie Grivens for being with us, and I want them to let them know that I do appreciate them sharing that information with us. Also, um, I want them to know that, you know, we have the option of replaying our blog talk shows uh, 
and uh, pretty much at my discretion. Ron doesn't know, <laughs> but pretty much at my discretion, uh-huh. I can play it out my spirit. Now you know, I can play uh, replay certain shows at my discretion, and this show will certainly be repeated over and over again. So that uh, it could be early morning, it could be afternoon, it could be late at night. Whenever I'm working, I can plug in this show and replay it because the information uh, needs to be heard by a variety of different individuals. And I will hope that uh, by doing that, that someone will pick up the phone and contact you and say, yes, uh, I think that we can do that. Uh, I think that we can at least try it. I think that I would, I would like to hear more about it. That would be a first step, and that would be a great step. So, Mr. Tan and Mr. Givens, I want to thank you for being with us, and hopefully uh, as we get feedback and we need a greater understanding, we hope that you can join us again. Have a great evening. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Ron. Yeah, thank you all both for being with us. Okay, right. good night. Good night. Now, um, Ron, tell us what's coming up with Black Wall Street. You have about uh, two minutes. To tell you what's happened, well, uh, first of all, um, the news may be somewhat out that um, I am now a candidate for alderman of the 17th Ward, in which I am getting ready to go into my campaign stage and doing that. And as so, uh, Black Wall Street is going to have a whole different Fasana uh, about itself as it seeks a new chairman of Black Wall Street, in which there's about seven candidates have stress and interest, and uh, the board of directors of Black Wall Street has set some tough guidelines and who would be the next chair of Black Wall Street. Um, and yes, I was involved in some of those guidelines as well. Uh, but the idea is that over the years we have had some very intense issues, and so the the new leadership of uh, Black Wall Street not only have to carry on the the programs and the activities that we're moving forward on, but they have to be innovative and carry on Black Wall Street. Uh, not under the um, umbrella, so to speak, of South Street Journal. So that's going to beef up the the movement. I think it's going to be uh, an excitement to the point of who would be the next chair as we're going to be having our uh, reception for Summit 14 on November the 5th or 6th, is that, uh, Sonia? Uh, that's no uh, November fifth, Ron. Okay. That would be meet, meet the meet the candidate uh, and right, the uh, reception. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then we're going to have that election on November the twentieth. But in between that drama, uh, who will replace this great chairman, myself, <laughs> is the programs and the activities that must be carried out at the same time. So as we indicated earlier, we have maybe about 17 components of Black Wall Street, and we are having our our leadership of Black Wall Street to step up to to guide the process of sustaining and increasing black businesses with a progressive manner in which we do it, and that is through uh, declaring.
in these black Wall Street districts throughout the city of Chicago. So we got it going on, and we're probably going to have to draft somebody to be our um, summit coordinator again. I haven't figured out how that's going to happen, but there was a board meeting today where we discussed our next uh, summit coordinator and what the chairman would do to twist the arms to make our choice happen. Hint, hint. Uh, you have comments, uh, Ms. Sonia Perdue? <laughs> I got a lot of comments, but because uh, you just said a whole mouthful. <laughs> First of all, you announced your candidacy, and uh, yeah, things going to be popping over here. <laughs> now, just very quickly, you got like one minute. Define what the 17th Ward, the boundaries are for the 17th Ward. Well, we're looking at from generally State Street to Western Avenue, 69th Street to 79th, which covers uh, a major part of the Inglewood community where the services of our two guests must concentrate. I guess I do have a very strong interest because of that population fits the category of the services that our guests have. So I'm very keen on it, and I'm definitely going to be – now, here I am. I suppose you asked me a question about uh, the uh, the boundaries, but I'm going into the urgency of the services that our guests have to the population that the 17th Ward uh, serves. So, But that's the general boundaries, and we're going to be coming out and claiming – a economic development agenda for the 17th war, and that includes those individuals that feel that they are left out. Great. What else you want to know? Uh, this is what I want to know. Um, now, uh, the election for the new chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. You just, you, this is really the first announcement, and we got seven candidates already. I can't wait. You know, I'm loving this, don't you? I oh just yeah, me see too. This, <laughs> I just want to see this powwow go down. I, yeah, matter I, of fact, I, two of the candidates made themselves possible to get on the board right away because they want to be a part of the decision process and. Keep their nose to the uh, to the railroad tracks and hear the train coming. So you're right; it's going to be a good one. I, I, I'm looking forward to it my own self. I'm not I'm not going to miss it. I won't. I'm not going anywhere until until that election is done. Uh, that's going to be better than the election in February. Just just hang on, people. <laughs> just just watch this go on. We haven't even sent out an official announcement yet, and it's just rolling over here. I just have to tell you, I'm just I'm just dying. That's why I had to laugh when he was saying that. But uh, I got one more minute. But I want I want to tell you what's going on next week, uh, and I get to do the interviewing next week. Because Dan okay. Phillips is running for the for the 19th ward, uh, will be joining us, and Ron Carter is running for the 17th ward, will be joining us, and I want to okay. see how that's going to go down. That's a little bit different, but uh, well, I, I used to live in the 19th ward. Yeah, I used to live in the 19th ward, and matter of fact, I was a candidate briefly teasing the 19th ward because it held that's one of the most stable communities in Chicago. And it is uh, is a real quiet but powerful ward, the 19th ward. So it's going to be very interesting uh, to see what type of 
changes such a stable community have that it needs a new uh, elected official? Great, great. So that, that's going to be... That's going to be interesting, too. Uh, Ms. Phillips and I had a, well, she's a talker, too. We had an uh, hour conversation yesterday where I can talk to people. I always accuse of people being long-winded. I'm long-winded, too. But mm-hmm. uh, I, mm-hmm. I want to uh, thank you for joining us this evening uh, on Black Wall Street USA. We want you to come back next week uh, as our candidate, Mr. Ron Carter, uh, for Alderman of the 17th. 17th Ward uh, lays it on the table for us. And then in closing, persistence is the act of continually pursuing something in spite of obstacles. And let me repeat that. Persistence is the act of continually pursuing something in spite of obstacles. Thank you to our guests for this evening. Thank you to our uh, listeners. And thank you, our host, Mr. Ron Carter. You have a great evening. Good night, everyone. And you too, Sonia, and everyone. Good night.